I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Marcus Jones. And we love to watch. We love to watch Naughty Girls and Boys. Later on, we'll conspire as we dream by the fire. <laughs> hey pete hey uh marcus hey aaron hey pete hey dudes uh this is our first time actually recording together but uh we've all recorded separately with each other yeah so it's sort of like and uh, separately on our own it's sort of like a weird love triangle it's it's a bit of a reunion yeah. it's a bit of a reunion <laughs> a sideways reunion hey i love that you know movie. what you know what peter that's a that's a great point <laughs> Thank you, Aaron. <laughs> You're just going to get a lot of compliments from me. Um, I was kind of a dick to you last week. So I'm turning over a new leaf. Just, you know, just great. Just a great thought to start us out. I wish I was there for last week's episode. <laughs> Peter and I watch different movies. <laughs> Aaron, I would just appreciate it if this week, you know, when I'm talking, you would. Um, I talked to my, my therapist about this and he says that you should listen to what i'm saying not what you think i'm saying it's a great observation uh i'll see what i can do <laughs> i'll see what i can do is the ultimate like eh. it's like saying i'll try my best I'll like I'll there's try no my best. guarantee of results uh either way it's you're you're dead on great observation you articulated it really nicely i mean everything was clear and concise i understood every word you were saying just all around that sentence was dynamite now whether i, I could live up to that course correcting <laughs> seriously guys I, I move i move three states away from my home to avoid awkward family drama so this is not <laughs> what i'm here for we'll, we'll talk about this but uh marcus has two podcasts he does one with uh crush Lloyd with his good friend cole smith uh having like a podcast co-host is a very weird combination of like a really good friend and a work colleague <laughs> So it's got, like, the pros and the cons of both. Oh, man. Yeah, I, I feel bad, but Cole uh, had been my best friend for about a decade before we started doing the show. Uh, so I feel like I can't ever be too serious with him on the business side of things. <laughs> well, yeah, well, we don't really have a business thing. It's like, who's doing work? Yeah. It's more like a chore. <laughs> it's more like a chore side of things, I guess. Well, I just I feel weird about chastising him for not showing up for podcasts on time or not watching movies when he's supposed to. But I but I kind of have to. Yeah, and Peter and I yeah. had spoke uh, twice before we started a podcast, <laughs> which is pretty crazy in retrospect. Because I feel like uh, our first episode we were pretty comfortable with each other. Just a, I think a good fit. You and Cole probably had like a lot of natural energy that you brought in. It's kind of weird because like the first six episodes i think we had nervous energy because we were you're listening to people not only just try and articulate how to talk about movies on a podcast but like people can kind of getting to know each other it's a weird it, it, it was it's a, a, a weird thing it's yeah a cute. it was also a lot of pressure i think to just be like i better deliver a good episode now it's kind of like whatever yeah i fucking sucked Edit it. <laughs> edit around all my nonsense. Like, well, at least you guys bitch. know each other's energies now, so you can kind of bounce off each other better. Yeah, that's true. I'm not really afraid to be, be weird. Yeah, no, and I, I can hear when Peter's uh, on off, 
on empty. It's like, okay, we better wrap this up. The tone has changed dramatically where he starts turning into an NPR host. So, final thoughts? Uh, that's a good NPR voice. I feel like we should bring this one home. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to call it night? Where can they find your work? Oh, I don't know. Jet. Jad and Tyler are sleepy, so they're going to have to call it a night here at a movie cast. Yeah. We edited this out, but most of the ending of our episodes, why they're so awkward, is that we sing uh, Peter lullabies. (laughs) And he he drifts off to sleep. Um, I think we probably have talked to Marcus more than any of our other guests uh, actually on the phone. Because I actually did something with Marcus like a year ago. Uh, which which kind of directly led to this podcast a couple times too, where uh, we were we were kind of doing a get on get on Skype with some friends and make fun of a bad movie. So I think kind of Marcus, amazing bad movie. <laughs> yeah, highly recommended. Uh, a Thief in the Night is what it's called. But so before we get too into uh, joking around and general camaraderie, Marcus, why don't you tell our audience three things about yourself? <clears throat> okay, guys. So this filled me with a lot of anxiety. Uh, because I feel like I'm not a very interesting person. I racked my brain to come up with three things. Uh, no one has any of- way to verify any of this, Marcus. <laughs> oh, man, I should have made shit up. For some reason, I, I just thought, <laughs> I can curse, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, curse. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, but part of me thought it might be funny to come in here and just be the most boring podcast guest ever. Just be very, like, dry and, and, and droll and stuff like that. And then the other part of me kind of worried that that might happen naturally. <laughs> so I tried to bring my A game, <clears throat> and the first thing I have about myself is that I was this close to being in a Christopher Guest-style film about a group of juggalos that are into theater putting on a juggalo musical together. Well, you're going to have to elaborate. Oh, yeah, I will. I just wanted to let that sink in for a moment. We talked about ICP a little bit yesterday through messages, and that brought this up in my mind. But while I was in college, uh, I made a couple of short films and worked on some stuff with a group of friends of mine, and we had or they had this idea for a juggalo musical kind of like interview style, Christopher guest style movie, uh, hilarious script. We did read throughs. We did casting and everything. We even did makeup tests and a few things, but for some reason it just kind of fell apart. And it's one of the, the biggest regrets of my life that I wasn't able to be in this film. Uh, the title of the film was when the paint hits the face darkly. That's awesome. Those weren't your friends, Marcus. <laughs> no, they, they were. I actually am in one of, another one of their uh, short films they made. It was a trailer uh, called Doc Savage versus Redneck Cannibals from the Atomic Wasteland, which I play two roles in. Oh, we're doing but, that next month. Doc Savage and the Redneck Cannibals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I, I actually got cast in this film that was never meant to be <clears throat> as the character of Boner Mike. Uh, I actually did discover my old script, and I have my character sheet, if I could possibly read my bio real quick. I'd love that. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so Marcus Jones as Boner Mike. Michael Andrew Boner Mike Falk is a compulsive masturbator. He is 22 years old. His computer hard drive contains an astounding three gigabytes of upskirt photos from around the world. Once, at a junior varsity cheerleading tournament, he was beaten by the father of one of the cheerleaders after he was caught with mirrors on his shoes. He has since been banned from attending such events, and he doesn't understand why. 
Boner Mike is a naturally gifted basketball player, but he never tried out for the team in high school for fear that someone in the locker room might see his smaller-than-average penis. Boner Mike wants to fuck everything that moves by any means necessary. His dream in life is to make lots of money in order to fuck Pamela Anderson or someone of equal hotness. So he's a gamer gator. Yeah, yes, pretty much. But that was uh, that was about five years before that ever happened. <laughs> Did do you feel like maybe if you took this role that you would be typecast? Uh, I would hope. <laughs> no, I actually uh, added a lot to the script because it was a minor role that added some comedy here and there. So I actually ended up writing a lot of like just jump in lines for my character and actually wrote my own like one on one interview segment for the film because <laughs> I got really into playing this character. <laughs> Yeah, that would not be very Christopher Gusty if you didn't get to bring something from home. So I, yeah, I wish I wish that this existed. I want to see this uh, Doc Savage uh, trailer thing that these guys made. I want a taste of their style. Oh yeah, I, I will show that to you. Uh, I will send you a link. Uh, also, another interesting thing: in Cole, notes. my co-host on Crest Celluloid, he was cast in the lead of this film, and I have pictures oh, really? of him in complete Juggalo makeup that screen tested for this like when they were doing makeup tests which i will also send you yeah send those to us and then if i'm ever competing against cole for a job (laughs) those will come in handy absolutely okay so that that was my number one that was my number yeah that was a great number one i feel like (laughs) Uh, number two i am boner mike (laughs) no Uh, I, I, was, I was boner Mike the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> there was, I was no worried movie. about following this up, but uh, my number two is uh, I like bread. Uh, right. My number three. The band or? No, just just the food. <laughs> How do you feel about the, the band bread? Uh, don't care. Not that you I don't, don't care, care for them. them. I just don't care at all. You don't care about that question? You don't I, care well, that there's a band called bread? <laughs> okay. And finally, number three. Uh, when I get drunk, I tend to passionately and longingly sing Christian Bale's solo song from Newsies, Santa Fe. I've never, I've never seen Newsies. Oh, you're missing out. Well, I mean, probably not. But to me, you're missing out. <laughs> Peter and I were going to do a musical month, and I, I, I'm I, pushing for Newsies, because that's the musical that I've never seen that everyone talks about. Yeah, I'd love to. I've never seen Newsies before, but it's uh, something that uh, should be seen, because it's got young Christian Bale in a musical, and Christian Bale is so serious now. He's such a serious guy. He is so fantastic in it, and I, I kind of love that he doesn't like to talk about it because of how silly it is. But no, I literally will sing to it. I will even, I know his dance in that scene by heart, and I kind of act it out. Out, uh, myself i have an indiana jones hat that i use in place of his cowboy hat <laughs> yeah he used to be really silly like in you know empire of the sun <laughs> <laughs> he's a real goof then. the silliest of or, all world war ii pacific theater movies or velvet Goldmine, <laughs> where he's just the only one not having fun in that movie i'm, I'm sorry i'm like dom DeLuise laughing over here <laughs> <laughs> um i had something similar to that where i uh when i get drunk i sometimes sing cheer up charlie from uh william willy wonka <laughs> that's fucking stupid <laughs> sorry i thought mine was good but i guess it, i guess it was wrong <laughs> yeah <laughs> peter i thought it was great <laughs> thank you thank you he's lying i feel like these comments are gonna grow slowly passive aggressive and we're already kind of at passive <laughs> I, I sing disney songs that that's happens awesome. too that's in the mix uh also selections from the film slash musical rent usually creep up in there when i'm singing like that there's a lot of hamilton right now when i get drunk also, when I'm sober. <laughs> yeah. I just sing just Hamilton general. a lot. <laughs> also, when you're performing in the show Hamilton. Yeah, congrats on that, by the way. Yeah, I yelled at Mike Pence. Who are you playing week. in the show? 
Uh, I am playing Hamilton number three. <laughs> <laughs> Hamilton's clone that doesn't get on stage, but he's back there. In case oh, the happens. one that's all mutated and sad? Yeah. It's the director's cut, which has yet to be released as a play, but it's coming. <laughs> it's the director's cut play? <laughs> yeah, director's cut play. Every once in a while, they show an alternative version, and everyone's like, was that always in the play? <laughs> you know what's great about theater? Is that no one can be like, like... Oh, you didn't like that movie? You got to see the director's cut, which happens to me a lot when I uh, I talk shit about a, a movie that I don't like. Uh, somebody's like, oh, dude, dude, that doesn't even count. You got to see the director's cut. Well, I'm sure that five <laughs> like, minutes of extra footage is really going to change your opinion on a movie you didn't like. <laughs> yeah, that's true. This <laughs> changes everything. Though, sometimes, though there's the Donnie Darko situation where uh, it can turn it around and make it just completely reverse your opinion of the movie in a negative way. I swear, yeah, I, I love Richard Kelly. He needs to stay the fuck away from his movies once he makes them. Yeah, the problem He's is he heard guy. he heard what you said there, but he took it to mean stay away from movies. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta be very specific with Richard Kelly. He's yeah. a smart guy, but he just doesn't listen very well. He, he just gets too discouraged halfway through the sentence and he stops listening. Me and him are kindred spirits. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming on, Marcus. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. Goodbye. You haven't <laughs> even mentioned your podcast is number three. Do you want a number four? Oh, uh, okay. we can do that on plugs. Yeah, I figured no, that, you're, that was on you're plugs. You're out. You're out of yeah, things. Well, <laughs> Yeah, you're out of things. You can't mention anything else. Yeah, actually, I will edit it out if you mention your podcast for the rest of this. Marcus does not have a podcast. (laughs) Chris Celluloid, where I actually happen to do film writings as well. But podcasts are dumb. Nobody listens to those. Nobody cares about those. But I do some writings about movies. Yeah, don't check yeah. out Crush Celluloid. It's a podcast you can find on iTunes. And don't check out his website, www.crushcelluloid.com. Definitely don't. There's... Definitely not great writing there that I love reading all the time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. (laughs) Um, So thank you so much. We do have a game. Uh, It is a game that relates to this movie. So, uh, Marcus, if you you look under your chair, there's a gun with one bullet in it. How'd you know that? Try to shoot Peter. (laughs) (laughs) We'll know you've done it. Uh, No. So had had either of you guys seen? I know, Peter, you'd seen Silent Night, Deadly Night before. Marcus, had you seen it? Yes, I had. I saw it about a year ago. Okay, so I'd never seen it before. Uh, I watched it for this show, and I noticed something that was extremely prevalent throughout the entire movie, which were tons of Christmas carols, uh, which makes sense. It is a Christmas movie, even if it is a Christmas horror movie. This this movie is packed to the wall with Christmas carols that I had never fucking heard of, ever. And the first one, I'm like, oh, that's weird. That's a Christmas song. I mean, people know Christmas songs. There's not There's not, like, secret ones that no one's heard of. And then it kept happening throughout the movie. I'm like, this is this is a new Christmas song that I've never heard of. And it happened throughout the entire 85-minute runtime. So I was like, where the fuck are all these Christmas songs coming from? And I thought it was a bunch of different songs. Like, Also, a lot of Christmas songs are not like under copyright. So you don't need to get like the rights to have Jingle Bells in your movie. You can just sing Jingle Bells or Silent Night or whatever you want. So it was super weird. So I, I went and did some research and I found out that, oh, they actually had a guy. It was all one uh, singer who wrote 10 different uh, Christmas songs for this movie. New Christmas songs. Uh, they are all terrible. His name was Morgan Ames. And I imagine he was kind of like when he's like, hey, we want you to come do the soundtrack, do a bunch of Christmas songs. 
And he's like, oh, yeah, what covers am I doing? No, you need to write 10 fucking new Christmas songs for this movie. And he's and like, they're all going to be perennial classics. They're all going to be perennial classics. We're going to be big hit. He's like, I can't do that. He's like, you shut the fuck up or we're getting Kenny Loggins. Write those Christmas songs. <laughs> so Don't make me wish I'd watched a better movie. <laughs> to the Christmas zone. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, so... <laughs> and you can you can get all ten songs on a soundtrack that exists. I have those songs. I'm going to ask you each a title of them, and you have to tell me if this is a real song that was written for the Silent Night Deadly Night soundtrack, or a fake song title that I made up. Who would like to go first? Uh, Marcus, would you like to go first? Sure, sure, I'll go first. Okay. By the way, what do I win? Oh, um, I have a device attached to my heart. And my heart just stops beating if you win. <laughs> Oh, nice. I, I get that. Yeah, I get like five bucks in iTunes money. Yeah, he doesn't. Peter doesn't die. Marcus just gets the device. <laughs> okay. I'm done with that. I have no yeah. use for iTunes money. <laughs> yeah. I don't use He, he rejected uh, my Christmas present, and that is naughty. <laughs> that is very naughty. All right, Marcus. Marcus, here you go. Fake or real Christmas song from the Silent Night, Deadly Night soundtrack. Uh I want to sing you a Christmas song. I'm going to say fake. That is fake. That is a fake song. All right, right, Peter. Your turn. Sleigh Rider. Fake. That is real. That's real. It's totally real. I knew that. Can you you sing it for me? No. (laughs) No. No one can sing any of these. I tried to find (laughs) lyrics online for them. Does not exist. I Uh, wonder why. The Silent Night, Deadly Night community has not... um, No. Gathered up these songs. They and do. Put them on a well, I what's knew funny is they do the original exist. Title of the movie was Sleigh Rider. Sleigh Rider. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, IMDb trivia section. I'll get <laughs> so all of these songs do exist on lyric sites, but then for each one it says, "If you'd like to add lyrics, please <laughs> click here." So, no one cares that much. Yeah. So someone cared enough to acknowledge that the songs exist, just not enough to. Uh, transcribe the lyrics. I'm just still amazed that there are ten songs in this movie. I did not notice ten, ten different songs. Christmas songs. <laughs> yep. Marcus, Christmas yes. Fever. Fake. That is real. Fuck, really? Yep. One, that sounds one like zero. a disco hit. <laughs> Peter, one zero. Your chance to come back and tie. Christmas Flu. Real. Yep. <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. So I want to stop to acknowledge that this soundtrack has ten Christmas songs. Well, the Christmas fever leads to a Christmas flu, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, one, one is Christmas fever and one is Christmas flu. <laughs> um, all right, Marcus. It's one okay. to one. Santa's looking at you. <clears throat> Real. That is fake. Fuck. Still one one. Peter, this is your chance. Aaron, how many points do you have? Uh, well, every time you guys participate, I get a point. So oh, once nice. again, I'm, I'm leading. Four Where are we one even playing? One. <laughs> <laughs> I will flip my computer desk if I don't win this, just so you know. <laughs> I am a sore loser. <laughs> well, you and Peter are I'm a like a really match. graceful loser. Yeah. <laughs> oh. But when Peter realizes he's going to lose, he throws the games. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, one to one. The warm side of the door. Real? That is real. What? <laughs> what does that even mean? I know. Alright, Marcus, your chance to come back and tie it. Welcome to Tree Town. Fake. That is fake. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> two to two. Peter. It's Christmas, sweet little baby. Real? 
fake. <laughs> That's too emotional after there's a warm door. Or <laughs> there's, a, there's a side of the door that's warm. Uh, yeah, just the warm Happiness side. is a warm door. Yeah. That is... <laughs> My favorite Christmas is just huddling next to the door and feeling its warmth uh, as opposed to the, well, your the chill Your parents don't outside. let you in the room with the heat. <laughs> Being warm is good is the next track, right? Yep. <laughs> the cold Let me side out of the, the basement door. is the next track. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. So, Marcus, so it's what? Is it 2-2? Two, two? Yeah, it's 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, I'm a great scorekeeper <laughs> and game show host. Uh, <laughs> it must be Christmas. Real. That is correct. How many points is a defeated correct answer? <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, <laughs> my heart skipped a beat. All right. This is the last one. This is to tie. Ooh. Peter. Christmas blowout. Real. That is fake. Oh. I was about to ask, did you have a tiebreaker in case he did tie? Nope, because there was only 10 <laughs> songs. <laughs> really glad, as always, that uh, my lack of preparedness did not factor into the results of the game. It very well could have here. <laughs> he likes to live life on the edge. I mean, all I had to do was make up a Christmas title and say real or fake. Although... Uh, you guys probably could have guessed it would have been fake since I went through all ten. Uh, but actually, but that means there's five real ones I didn't use. So what I'm yeah, saying is, I would have been fine, guys. <laughs> Champions adjust. By the way, speaking of living on the edge, I need uh, that heart device, Peter. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, is it alright if I, like, FedEx it? or uh, UPS. I, like, got the gun in your house, but I didn't really think about the device. I didn't plan on the device having to be in your possession. kind of thought I was going to own this one. Well, you kind of need to get it to me soon. It's Christmas season. The post office is going to be hectic. Sometimes stuff gets lost in the mail. You know what? I'll just use stamps.com. <laughs> Avoid that post office line. Yeah. This is going to be a great uh, spot for us once they <laughs> decide to sponsor our show. Because I, I can't imagine now, it's it's a young show. We get a decent amount of listens, but not not like a ton. And I think what Stamps.com would probably want to do is to take a chance on a show at the exact time they're talking about mailing a uh, heart device to kill one of the hosts to the other one for uh, some sort of blood victory. Well, you know what sponsors like? They like a 15-minute lead-up to their actual spot. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that, uh, you know, if anybody changed the channel, they'd have no fucking idea that the spot was coming. Exactly. No, you need a 15-minute bid in order to get to a 20-second spot at the end of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like the old days when these things were, like, sponsored. Where, like, you defeated the Kryptonians... Uh, on the Superman radio show by, like, smoking Chester cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> the smoke is killing them. <laughs> or, like, uh, you defeated communism by making sure that uh, all of your kids' clothes were clean when you sent them off to school. Don't dress like a communist, Timmy. Communists have dirty shirts, Timmy. Communists Good thing your mom naughty. used Tide. <laughs> Communists are naughty. Um, thank you very much for uh, playing this game with us, Marcus. Do you guys thank you very much about... for losing. <laughs> and gracefully. This is as gracefully as I lose. <laughs> uh, do you guys want to talk about a little movie called Silent Night, Deadly Night? Christmas Eve is slowly fading. Can you hear him? 
You guys want to talk about a little franchise called Silent Night, Deadly Night? <laughs> I've seen the first two movies. I've only seen the one. I've seen the first two movies three times each, four times each. Oh, and why? I did not know that there was a part three, a part four, a part five with Mickey and a remake Rooney and a remake. <laughs> and a, I, I've seen no idea. three. I've seen the first three. I haven't seen four or five yet. They are on my list. They do both have Clint we, Howard. I think we might make it a tradition to watch one of these every year. I've not seen any of them, so we will try to avoid talking about uh, the sequels. Fair enough. Have fun next year. <laughs> <laughs> I love number two. Seriously, no, because I, I not only watched the first one again for this podcast, I did rewatch the second one as well, and I actually kept track of... Uh, it's an 88-minute movie. It has about 57 minutes of new footage, about 29 minutes of footage from the first film, and then about four and a half minutes of credits. Yeah, it's it's good if you didn't just watch the first movie. But <laughs> That's what happened like... to me. I watched the first one, <laughs> yeah. and then maybe a day or so later, I watched the second one, and it just pissed me off. My DVD includes both of them, and I can imagine someone being like, what the fuck? I just watched this movie. Hang on to that. That's out of print. Whenever it has the uh, unrated scenes, the uh, stuff that was cut, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which was actually shot by a different director, a lot of the violence was shot uh, by not the uh, by real the editor. director. Yeah, because he wasn't comfortable doing the, the super violent scenes. You know, the director's name is Charles E. Sellier or Sellier Jr. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like some of his credits are like writing Bible adaptations, like In Search of Noah's Ark, Ancient Secrets of the Bible. Like, But he also directed he, The Annihilators, which is an extremely violent movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm assuming he also like went over to his, his uh, editor's office all bashfully. <laughs> He's like, you want to shoot something for me, pal? <laughs> I made you a rump roast. Um, <laughs> that reminds me of how in Halloween 2, John Carpenter was just the producer, but he thought the director was being kind of a pussy. So he came in and shot underneath his nose, shot a bunch of way more vicious kills to add in the movie. It's kind of like that because there's kind of like a jarring tone shift where like you can see in the, DVD, the unrated DVD, you can see like certain kills going on longer than they should because oh yeah and it's easy to tell because the film is not as cleaned up it, it looks terrible compared to the rest of it yeah it looks like someone pissed on the film but <laughs> yeah. it's kind of awesome it's kind of awesome in a grindhouse kind of movie just all of a sudden you know not a whole reel obviously because it's like a three second shot but it's kind of awesome to have this one segment just be completely disgusting looking yeah it looks <laughs> like it's, it's covered in gore. dirt <laughs> And I know you don't want to talk about the sequel, so I won't get too much into it, but I did want to mention that Part 4, Initiation, is directed by Brian Yuzna, who I know you guys talked about uh, when you did kind of your Halloween recap thing, because you guys had just Mm -hmm. watched Society, which I love, by the way. (laughs) But yeah, Yeah, I still have to watch it. Yeah, this is one of the movies that he directed. I had no idea. That means I'll have to watch the rest of them. Which <laughs> well, three through five are on a DVD together that you can still get. That's pretty easy then. Actually, I knew I know that five has Mickey Rooney in it. And Mickey it Rooney was one of the the many people, and this is a big thing about this movie that I didn't know until recently. Many people 
spoke out against this movie so badly that it was driven from theaters within two weeks. After a week. <laughs> let's let's go back and do uh, do some five-second recaps and then kind of get into some of the, the crazy, crazy stuff about the movie. There's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Can you, uh, can you give us the five-second recap? Yeah, absolutely, Peter. Thank you so much for asking. Uh, Thank you so much for doing it. Yeah, I'm just excited. Thank to you so it. much for having me. <laughs> Thank you, Marcus. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, five second recap is, uh, kid has a lot of shit happen to him, handles it poorly, uh, and ruins Christmas. Ding, ding, ding. You win, Aaron. You win. (laughs) That'll work. So, uh, the 90 second recap is basically that a a crazed dude that we don't really have a backstory on, dresses up as Santa, robs a store, murders the storekeep, um, is on a rampage. And there's this family that's, uh... That's out in the country, returning from visiting uh, a relative, a crazy relative in an asylum. And they're uh, all of them are murdered by the or I guess I should say the parents are murdered by this crazed Santa figure, leaving a uh, baby boy and a toddler uh, alive at the scene. And uh, our next cut is to uh, a orphanage where the two kids are growing up. This like brutal Catholic orphanage, and you know he's got like a like a more socially progressive nun, and then like an old school corporal punishment nun. Uh, and this kid just keeps fucking up in the eyes of the nun, keeps getting you know spanked, which just furthers his trauma. Doesn't uh, he's not really allowed to be healed at all. Uh, then he's older. He's kind of. Um, Somebody finds a, one of the nuns finds a job for him at this uh, Christmas store, and there's a Christmas party. And at that party, just a series of events unfold where he has to dress as Santa. They get him drunk. He witnesses uh, his coworker that he's a crush on having sex, or I guess should be, uh, you know, being assaulted more accurately. And it's uh, triggers him into turning into a murderer. And dressed as Santa, he murders uh, those people at the store, and he murders another family on the way, and then he goes to an orphanage, the orphanage that he grew up at, and is uh, is gunned down uh, trying to maybe get revenge on the head nun. And uh, yeah, basically at the end of the movie, it's sort of hinted that his little brother who's still at the orphanage, is going to pick up the mantle and become a murderer next. And I hope so, because it is sad if you just see a family legacy burn out like that. Um, yeah, that's what the sequel is, Aaron. What did I the just... The sequel is the little bro. Fucking say <laughs> about not telling me stuff about the, way, the sequel. Peter, I have to commend you for doing a 90-second recap in only five minutes. That was great. <laughs> I think I think we were wrong about where the passive aggressiveness was going to come from this episode. Hey, I only do it because I like you guys. <laughs> I'm just an emotional punching bag. I, I want you guys to just, you know, get all your aggression out on me. That's really great. And it's so for easy for us. some reason. I've been yeah. super positive to you this whole time, Peter. Except the times that I told you to fuck off. <laughs> uh, but otherwise, <laughs> very positive. Uh, Marcus clearly he's been listening to our show and sitting at home and just stewing. Like I, I got some feedback. I, I'm, I yeah, don't want to be on the show. No, I, pretty much what I'm doing now is what I do when I listen to your show by myself. I just pretty, <laughs> I just jump in the conversation and just uh, say terrible things to you two. <laughs> well, again, thanks for coming on, Marcus. We can't wait to have you back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
Let's do let's do some counts. I, I got I have three counts for you guys, and it's yeah. Let's do the counts. That is so close. I was gonna say let's do the counts, and then I I really want to talk about. I know Peter's itching to uh, talk about the reaction that this movie inspired because it is insane. Absolutely. Okay, so I have three quick counts, and I want to say that these are so close that it was almost kind of brilliant to where I could have said, no, this this filmmaker, this writer, like, they knew what they were doing, and they did something kind of amazing that you wouldn't pick up on just watching it regularly. So I have a body count, a count of how many times naughty is said, and a count of how many times punish is said. So body count of 13, naughty count of 16... And punish count of 15. It was almost 15 for each, and I really wish it was, because then I would have said that there's a whole nother level to this movie that I need to understand. Yeah, when it has, like, a weird mathematical numerology uh, thing to it, it it becomes a sort of, like, (laughs) it builds on, it would build, like, a a Shining-esque cult. (laughs) Uh, Not as big, but uh, a Shining-esque cult where people are like, what? Where are all these numbers coming from? Because <laughs> your head sometimes your head sometimes just recognizes patterns, and then you're like, "Why does this? Why does this interest me so much?" But your your consciousness isn't picking up on it. Uh, I do wish that those were all even. Like there was just like a weird, like specific uh, focus to it. I would imagine the way that this movie was so cut up that maybe originally in the script those were all lined up, and then. Uh, as the movie went on and stuff just got cut, uh, the numbers got a little skewed. I just thought it was this catchphrase, and sometimes he said punish, sometimes he said naughty, but he always said both somewhere around the time he was going to murder someone. And then, you know, you say those words enough, and then you're just walking down the street, you stub your toe, and you just say punish. And that, that adds a couple extra and increases the overall count. Yeah, sometimes it just slips out. You can't help it. It's, you know, it's a writer's crutch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so let's, let's talk about the way this movie was received. Cause so this came out in 1984, which means there has been a ridiculous amount of gory horror movies that have, that have come out. This is not like 1962 and no one had seen blood or nudity or swear words or whatever else on the screen. Uh, this actually came out the same day as a nightmare on Elm street. Yeah, and did better than it for the first weekend. Yes, for the one week it was in theaters, yes. Because we might be living in a very different future if parent groups didn't exist, because this movie might have been a huge thing. Like, this specific iteration of Killer Santas might have been uh, something that people remembered or, like, inspired more Killer Santa crazes. Well, like, and I don't want to... Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty amazing. The movie made money. I think that's part of the reason they pulled it so quickly is they were like, made a fucking nut. Let's get out of here. Well, I and I don't want to blame parent groups, though, because a lot of people that we love and respect uh, fucking hated this movie. Although I will stop and circle back and say this did start a whole new uh, parent group uh, that was created specifically to uh, specifically to protest the movie. Uh, and it was called the Citizens Against Movie Madness, which is the most hyperbolic. It sounds like a Toxic Avenger sequel. It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Subtitle. <laughs> Mother. No, it's Mothers Against Movie Madness. Ma'am. Ma'am. <laughs> 
Yeah, uh, I saw. Maybe I was about to say, is different... that the group that Al Bundy was doing on Married with Children? He was fighting against the movie Madness <laughs> Mothers. I hope it started two groups. <laughs> that's how. That's how pissed yeah. off uh, people were. But besides these uh, these parent groups and the protesters, uh, Roger Ebert and uh, Gene Siskel. Uh, Roger Ebert hated this movie. His review is him. It's it's not just the kind of I didn't like this movie. It is like lamenting the. <laughs> tragedy of our time that a movie would stoop this low they read the credits of the people who created it on their show and after each name would say shame 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 <laughs> they it, should have said uh, naughty yeah. naughty punish um, it is yeah. it is it is the word like i love roger debert i love gene siskel reading the reaction that so many um so many people had calling it one of the worst movies of all time. I first of all, I don't know what fucking movie they watched and what movies they weren't watching to think that this was like a huge jump forward in gore or horror. Well, they had seen slashers. Especially, they were they watching the unrated version? <laughs> yeah, because the unrated version came out first, and then when it was when it was pulled out of theaters, and then it was re-edited to take out all of the scenes. Because the thing here, here's why people were so offended, and this is so fucking stupid. People were so offended because they turned Santa Claus into a axe murderer. Which so it wasn't the fact that anything in the horror movie is so out of line. This isn't fucking Antichrist. It was that they used uh, Christmas iconography to ter- tell their horror story, and that was sacred. Well, and that there were commercials, so there were like TV spots and stuff that showed Santa Claus killing people. Yeah, and there but were you like, know what? Oh, are the children? Yeah. But you know what else? Why Won't else somebody pisses- think of the children? Yeah, exactly. And why else it pisses me off is because if you read the stuff that Ebert, Cisco, uh, Gene Shalit, Leonard Maltin, some of these other people were saying about it, uh, they were saying that it turns Santa into a bad guy. Like, it's that kind of misrepresentation to prove a point that a lot of these people are better than for the most cases because it's not it's not at all (laughs) like this is not a movie where they it posits an actual santa claus exists and instead he is like a krampus version that sneaks into people's homes and murders them with axe like which is like the movie santa slay with goldberg is like a uh, you know, like a comedy horror movie that I've seen before. Is and that's like good? actual Santa is an actual evil person. I like it. It's pretty funny. It's funnier than it has any right to be. When you described that, I was like, well, that's a movie I would watch also. It's just like completely impatient with the season. And so it's kind of fun when you're sick of watching, you know, the Santa Claus or Elf or Christmas Story over and over again. It's a nice it's a nice palate cleanser, as this is. Sorry, yeah, I interrupted it, your point, Aaron. I, I just wanted to point out that that movie would be something that would be worthy of the, of the the anger. I don't, I mean, even if Santa was, again, Santa's a fictional character. Um, <laughs> yeah, this, I'm not saying anything this, is really yeah. worthy of the anger, yeah, but so, you know what I mean. So, yeah, but it's that misrepresentation where it, it's not Santa. The movie, first of all, yeah, like I said, why would you fucking be bothered if Santa is a murderer? Who gives a shit? But the, <laughs> the fact that they were so bothered by that even someone who just is wearing a Santa's coat is killing people and it's a how far will Hollywood go to satisfy their bloodlust? This is an out like like if we saw someone do that now, it would be like Bill Donahue or someone from like the Catholic League. Bill Donahue had a huge uh, an hour long segment on this. Oh no, no that's you know Phil that? Phil Donahue. Oh, Bill Phil Donahue. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, Bill Donahue <laughs> is different. Yeah, they're different people. Uh, no, Bill Donahue Brothers, is though, like the yes. 
Bill Donahue is like the guy who goes on Fox News. He represents like the uh, North American Catholic League or Citizens League or whatever. And that's he, just a poison name at this point. <laughs> yeah, don't be named. Don't have a name that rhymes with Phil or Bill Donahue. But you're right. Phil Donahue had an hour long show. I mean, when you're doing a weekday talk show, I'm sure that he was just excited to talk about something. But the level of outrage over this movie because the murderer wears a Santa. He doesn't even wear a fucking beard. It's just a Santa <laughs> coat. Yeah, it's and like a hat. Oh, and, everyone, <laughs> and everyone's like, for shame. Also, like, when Halloween come out, was there outrage like, you've ruined Halloween, or like, you, you've, ruined you've ruined William, William Shatner's Shatner. face. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and again, the same day as uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, which is, I guarantee, more gory. Um, it's, it's, about more a chi- gory. it's about a child molester. And I think there's some things in this movie. It's we, we this comes up all the time on our show where we read these reviews of a fa- of, pe- of people who were offended, and then we're like, "How are you missing this part? You should be offended at." Uh, we talked about that with Robin Hood, where a lot mm-hmm. of people were offended that there was sex in a Robin Hood movie, but no one mentioned that. Well, it's not sex; it's a rape. <laughs> like, yeah. that's the part. That's the part that's a problem. It's not that. Oh, they're sh- they're showing that men and women copulate. It was that, but that's what everyone was upset about. Well, apparently those um, lines are kind of blurry. Peter kind of got that mixed up when he was talking about this movie earlier. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I for I forgot that it was. Uh, I forgot that it's like basically a straight up uh, attempted rape scene. Yeah. that's interrupted by the murder. So it's like a half hero moment and a half villain moment because like he saves her, but then he kills somebody. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then she and she gets very upset at him, which all which felt like I'm not trying to blame, not trying to do victim blaming, but it's it's that kind of why it bothers me. And we can get into that that scene a little bit. But why that scene bothers me is that it's clearly like written from a male perspective where even the person who is on the process of being raped wasn't that uh plussed by it like she's like come on why would you react like that it's like well you were being raped maybe take a second i disagree i disagree actually i think that the her reaction is a human reaction to just being horrified and thinking that he went way too far and not just stopping stopping him from raping her but fucking choking him out with christmas lights and i think it's sort of it worked for me it worked as a she says you bastard you're crazy i think it works for me as a um a denial of how rape revenge fantasies happen where i think a lot of guys think or like mra type guys think more hope no good guys think this but uh that you know you stop a girl from getting raped and then you know she'll fuck you people definitely like being hit on when they're at their most terrified and violated and everything yes. else yeah and it's it's a fucked up thing that i think a lot of dudes think subconsciously is that like if you stop a rape like then the girl is like somehow yours because your heroicism is so powerful but yeah i think it's supposed yeah, to be I- sort of i think it really works as a, for me maybe not for you but it works for me as a renunciation of the like hero fantasies that that dudes go through where they're like i'm gonna stop this rape and then and then she's mine See, I like that, but I don't think the writer of this film thought that at all. I don't think that was intentional. I I agree. I agree with Marcus. Like the the it's it's not that I have a problem where 
if someone murders someone who is in the process of raping that like she would be like oh thank god you're my hero but she is just over that rape and is like you're a weirdo it's like well, she was just like her 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 switch in mode gives the impression that that what was going on wasn't a huge fucking deal now that's fine it is replaced with another huge fucking deal but she just seems so nonplussed by the whole thing that uh, it feels off. It feels like it's it's reducting uh, the it's 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 diminishing the seriousness of what was going on with her. So I like your point, yeah. Peter. I just I don't think it's like that would be a good point. I just don't think the movie's trying to make it. See, I, I tell you though, if those if those counts lined up, then maybe maybe you had a point. Maybe there's something more going on to this, but they didn't. So no. I don't believe it. I think that it would have been more obvious if she like went to him and then she pulled away from him realizing what he'd done. But in the moment, I just read, I read it as her saying like, well, what the fuck? Like murder is also bad. <laughs> it, it may be, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, I, I, she, you know, most of the people in this movie don't have a hyperlink on their names on Wikipedia because they didn't act in anything else ever again. So, it could just be that the actress wasn't uh, wasn't able to communicate that feeling, and she kind of just switched into like kind of annoyed person. Like, why would you do that? Um, which, yeah, <laughs> well, I think she was somewhat horrified, just because, like, yeah, she was being attacked, and I'm sure there's at least part of her that was, you know, happy that that was stopped. But at the same time, it was a guy that she had been like flirting with and had a thing with and had some sort of feelings for. So then, watching him get murdered in front of her probably didn't make her feel great either. Yeah, because rape is complicated and disgusting and awful. Yeah, and most of the time, rapes are committed by people you know. So yeah. it's it's complicated. Yeah, that yes. that whole scene didn't work great for me but i'm saying just just kind of circle back to my original point um that seems like something that would have been worthy of some ire and it doesn't get talked about anywhere whether you really? think it, it no it's it's all about everyone was all pissed off about the santa stuff the sexual assault the nudity <laughs> everything else in this movie like you know the mom kind of this this movie loves having Shirts ripped open to reveal bare breasts. It happens oh, to, that is so true. It happens to four different women. Like in this, that's it, everyone. It even movie. happens to a guy as well. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just took it to mean that shirts weren't made for shit in the eighties. <laughs> um, you know, you know Everybody how when you start kissing shirts. a girl, and then your first move is to immediately tear open their shirt. Every guy in this movie does that but but that's my point is that there is a lot of nudity in this movie there's the sexual assault there's the opening which is like kind of implied that he was going to rape uh billy's mom and then he just kind of tore his shirt her shirt open and stabbed her also he settled for well, murder. She, yeah. she hit him so he was yeah. like fuck you and just killed her instead of raping her like yeah. oh, so, like almost like he was depriving her like oh i was just gonna rape you but no you hit me so dead <laughs> yeah yeah how, that guy, how that dare guy's you real fucking creepy yeah, there is a lot of stuff in this movie that people could have been offended by or wanted to talk about how offensive it is. Fucking none of this stuff was mentioned anywhere that I can find. It was all about – and if it was mentioned, it was only mentioned in connection that they would put this stuff in a Christmas – a movie that features Santa Claus as a killer. How like, are you going to have Santa yeah. stopping a rape? How dare yeah, you? It, it wasn't that they had a problem with any of it. In the sense that this is a horror movie, like the too far aspect is just that 
it is Santa. It is using Christmas iconography. Yeah, I, and I completely agree that the the ire was totally misfocused and that Ebert, Ebert's rant in particular, I watched the clip. It's like, it's pretty short because it was on, you know, TV. And Ebert's clip is just like, he's talking about like, oh, yeah, I bet this guy wouldn't show this movie to his kids, huh? And it's like, it's like, no, you don't show this to children. Did these people just become parents and then be, they became like prissy members of like the like American Moms Against Everything group? Because those people are so easy to make fun of. Yeah. yeah and it's but again, really, it was it's, years it's, and years ago. And to be fair, I love Roger Ebert, but he was not always right. He shat on Freddy oh, Got Fingered Roger and Ebert. he is just wrong about that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that he's always right. It's just a... You know, one of the things that I think everyone likes about Ebert is, like, you should judge a movie for what it's trying to do. So you shouldn't judge an action movie based on what you want to see from, like, a prestige drama. It's, is it a good action movie? It's trying to be an action movie. Is it a good sci-fi movie? Is it a good horror movie? Um, and and he, he, had, he was very good at separating those things. And there's sometimes that his outrage was 100% justified. We talked about yeah. Mother's Day on this show. Like, he was dead on. And he references Mother's Day uh, in another movie that we're going to be talking about soon as well this month uh, in another review. But he – it just – this feels like he just has completely gone off the deep end yeah. and is like a different person. And again, that same week he rated Nightmare on Elm Street three out of four stars. I wonder if it was pressure maybe because of the outrage or the backlash from it that maybe they felt they had kind of had to cover their own asses and like, okay, we better talk down about this because everyone else is and we don't want them to boycott our show because we give it a halfway decent review or not a scathing review. I doubt that. And again, I would have been fine with him not liking it. There's a lot of slasher movies that yeah. he didn't like. Um, it's, it's, but it it's is not... effective as a low-budget slasher horror film. Yeah, I, I, I love I, the movie personally, I should say. Yeah, I really like it too. Not liking something is fine. Doing the how dare you trample our greatest American icons in your low like that that kind of holier than thou attitude is is a very, in my opinion, rare moment for Ebert when he's indistinguishable from yeah, the, you know the par- the parent research fund said or that whatever. In a Superman three review where he was just like, "How dare you show me an evil Superman that drinks <laughs> and that treats yeah. people badly? Our iconic American hero." <laughs> yeah, it's that's what's depressing about like everyone's reaction to this. It just it feels like manufactured outrage, but it's from people that I believe felt it sincerely. In a way that is so fucking stupid. And people that usually rolled their eyes at the manufacturing yeah. outrage. So, uh, also, Siskel has a quote in his in his uh, TV segment that really bothers me. Where he's talking, he, he refers to the, the fact that the movie made back its budget. He refers to the money as blood money. Yeah. Which is, <laughs> like, some shit you hear out of, like, an evangelical preacher. The idea of a movie morally decaying and rotting the core of American values and and how dare they besmirch the name of Santa Claus. Like, that is the most Reagan-era bullshit I've ever heard. And to hear it out of, like, two people I consider my heroes is real gross. Um, especially Siskel, we have the benefit of of you know perspective and movies having gotten much worse than this uh in terms of violence um and also like black christmas came out 12 years before this movie Mm -hmm. black christmas is way more vicious than this movie and i haven't seen that one either so yeah i won't i won't talk about black christmas um 
We're doing it. We're doing it uh, the week after this one. Oh, awesome! So Black Christmas is is amazing, but it's way more. I think way more vicious, way more violent. I think they had a problem with the way it was marketed, which is like fine or whatever. But he, he they start trashing the actual movie, and then they just throw in a trash against "I Spit on Your Grave." A weird throwaway diss to a movie that now a lot of feminists have taken back. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole the whole two minute segment is just full of shit. That's like, come on, man. <laughs> so do you think it's just because it is Christmas and it is Santa? Like maybe that's yeah. something that's so sacred to American culture for some reason. It's Which, just so insane. It, you know, here's here's what this is a good transition into the movie too. Uh, always announced to transitions. Um, because what's super fucking weird is that not only do Ebert and these people think that the mother superior in this movie, I am convinced, thinks that Santa died for our sins and was resurrected <laughs> on the third day because I've never seen oh, sweet baby Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, she is so concerned about people respecting Santa Claus and sitting on their lap and everyone paying attention when Santa's around. Like most, I remember growing up Catholic and my parents being so concerned about Santa taking the place of Jesus for the holiday. And I think that's kind of a very common Catholic and Christian concern where it's like, he's the, you know, Jesus is the reason for the season and all that stuff. So the idea that, uh, both in this movie, the, the Catholic nuns and apparently in real life, everyone was so protective of Santa. I was, was there a couple years where everyone got confused as to like, that it was Jesus that everyone should be protective about during Christmas, not Santa, which a lot of religious people reject is like taking away Christmas from what they believe in. I, I feel like Mother Superior in this movie, I don't think she's protective of Santa Claus or even Christmas at all. I think her attitude is He's faking. Yeah, sure, his parents were murdered in front of him by a guy dressed up in a Santa suit, but that's the, what does that have to do with anything? He's just acting out. He just thinks he can do whatever he wants. No, fuck you. You're going to go sit on that Santa Claus lap and you're going to be fine because it doesn't matter. The events in your life don't have any effect on you whatsoever. You were a child. I think it can be two things. <laughs> she has a fucking, like woke nun next to her too <laughs> she has a nun who's like hey did you know that like trauma persists through life and sometimes you have to treat children differently who have been through trauma like these are fucking orphans like, oh, like, yeah, yeah, let's, like yeah let's talk about this nun because she she's is a real piece of shit <laughs> yeah and again no cries for like how nuns are depicted from all these same critics but she is insane uh, I've not only does she like take a personal interest in like making sure this kid stops complaining. She says so many things about he should be over this by now. It's like he watched his parents murdered by Santa Claus and it's four years later and you're like, look, he's six. If he can't get over Santa Claus now or eight. It was like what? He was like seven. He doesn't remember yeah. anything. There's well, no cognitive memory there. To be fair, this kid has been through a lot. Uh, he looks nothing like he did before the trauma. <laughs> his eyes, his Which, lips, everything it, changed. He grew a mullet? like a little reddish brown hair. Yeah, he grew a mullet. He's a completely different kid. Like, yes, you change a lot growing up. Not that much. Yeah, but it's not even specific to this kid as we find out. Although she does, anyone uh, expressing any emotional pain is disgusting to her. 
But I can uh, agree with that. At the end, uh, when all when the kids see a different Santa Claus shot in front of their eyes, uh, <laughs> which is one of my one of my favorite parts in the movie because it's like the perfect type of funny cruel. Where it's this wide-eyed kid walking towards Santa with it's the his biggest little brother. smile. It's Ricky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, with the biggest smile on his face, like outstretching his arms, and then Santa is shot four times in front of him. Uh, and it's this like Santa the- is a deaf priest. Yep. So after that, we're talking like ten minutes later. All the children are inside, and the mother superior says to him, "Children, I understand you're very upset, but I want you to stop moping." <laughs> <laughs> like Shanna was just shot in front of their eyes and she's like just shut the fuck up and sing these Christmas carols with me you guys are a bunch of babies <laughs> Santa isn't real come on it was just Father O'Malley <laughs> yeah one nun is like I think we should treat these children's deep seated issues and one was like I will devour his soul <laughs> like there's just this like this constant lack of empathy no, it's Christmas. You need to you need to all do what I say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it I miss is Christmas. <laughs> yeah, she is and and like I said uh, my wife actually watched this movie uh with me. She was not a fan. Um, <laughs> she gave it the lowest rating. Uh the, there was a little bit of the you sleeping on the couch tonight. So that, that is? Uh, no, it was no, <laughs> she she uh she rates movies. She found out I rated movies like on Letterboxd. Oh, okay. Uh, and so she she gives a star rating at the end of every movie. She gave this a half a star. Um, she did not care for it. I was a little embarrassed by the beginning too because there's in quick succession those shirt ripping open scenes and it's like, "Oh my god. This, this is looks just like the exactly, setup." <laughs> yeah, this, this is, is exactly what thing. you think I'm watching. Um but I was like, I turned to my wife because, you know, he sees his mom's shirt ripped open and then the Santa, the Santa Claus cutting her neck. And then he peeps on these two people having sex. And then the mother superior screams at him, punishes him and starts whipping uh, those two older kids who are having sex in this closet or this empty room. And I'm like, this kid is going to have some sexual hangups because <laughs> he, he is he is he is around a lot of sex negativity. Also, in his life. I was confused. What if this like, is all a prequel to 40-Year-Old Virgin? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was confused about who those two kids that were fucking were, because... I thought it was the nun at first. Yeah, I thought it was maybe too. a nun and, like, a maintenance man or something, because they are far too old to still be at an orphanage. Yeah, and, um, and she has the same short haircut as, like, the nun that we see who's, like, the woke nun. So I assumed <laughs> it was the nun fucking... Some kid? I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. <laughs> Is this going to be called We Love to Watch Woke Nuns? <laughs> <laughs> woke Nuns. And then the, uh, but then the nun was like back and talking to her normally a scene later. I'm like, well, then who the fuck was that? Because <laughs> you figure once they're 18, they're going to be, they're not going to be at the orphanage anymore. That's what happens to Billy when he turns 18. Like, why are these people that are obviously in their early 20s to mid 20s, like fucking in an orphanage? Also, let me say... As someone, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this stuff, but there's this stuff called pornography, and maybe it makes you a little bit more aware of this stuff, but every single sex scene in this movie is the exact same manner, woman laying on her back, dude like half mounting her in missionary position, and every single scene is the same thing with the pool table scene. Yeah, it's just like I, I guess the director was like, "Yeah, you lay there, and then you lay there." And he just like showed them a picture of the previous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the fact that they're just kind of one laying atop the other, 
and there's no movement going on. They might slightly be moving side to side or wriggling a little bit, but they are making noises as if they are hard fucking pumping. Yeah, they're getting there. I mean, I don't know. And Marcus, know Marcus has at home a hard uh, fucking pumping scale <laughs> that he uses to measure the noises. It's called this, my dick. Yeah, this came. This this was a. It's a scale of one to ten. This was a fourteen. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I wonder how you got the name Boner Timmy. It's Boner Mike. Thank you very much. I have my pride. Boner Timmy. That'd be a terrible name. Boner Mike's a great name. It is. It sounds like the lead singer of Bread. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't care about Bread, dude. The band? <laughs> uh, I'm starting a new thing. <laughs> let's. I want to start. Let's circle back to the beginning of the movie, though, because I knew I was in this movie at the beginning, because there's nothing I love more than when horror movies don't seem to give any sense to how the real world functions or how anyone would behave. So the opening of this movie is uh, Billy and his brother and his parents, because he's seven years old or whatever at the time, driving for what must be four or five hours to visit their grandpa, who is in a uh, in a sanitarium. Because there's nothing 80s movies love more than mental institutes. Yeah, um, crazy houses. Yep. So they go and they visit him. They drive five hours. Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. I think Christmas Day. Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve. That's right. So they drive five hours Christmas Eve. He, The grandpa is sitting in a giant room by himself with a chair almost in the middle of the room. <laughs> they talk to him for five minutes. And he freaks out for no reason and says, like, Santa's going to kill you tonight which never comes back into play he doesn't have psychic abilities he doesn't he just doesn't like santa he's just and a creepy crazy grandpa he is and he's and he's faking being in this canatonic state just so he can i guess freak out his grandson about santa well you That's know grandpas true. you know how they do so 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 they're there for five minutes and they're like all right well let's go home like yeah, what were they talking about in the office? Were they what? like, well, it appears your father's a fucking asshole. <laughs> Why? Were, I think they were who? signing the death papers to just go ahead. Yeah. And kill yeah. I get, I get wanting to visit relatives on Christmas Eve. Who drives five hours on Christmas Eve and then just is like, hey, yep, are you okay? He's still not responsive. Let's go check on his bill. All right, let's go. <laughs> Another five hours home. All right, so I get that sometimes you got to make weird trips, especially before the internet. You had to make weird <laughs> trips to see. Uh, this is like before phones, folks. like yeah. they could call and check on them. And this isn't even one of those things where like they sit and like you get the sense that maybe time has passed. No, there no time has passed. They basically drop off the kid. The kid gets traumatized, uh, you know, for the first of many times in the movie. And then they're like, "All right, you're properly fucked up. Let's go." Yep, and they it's and they start out. It's so weird too because they. They make it a point to show the passage of time because it starts out in its daytime, like bright midday sun, and they're singing some Christmas carols. And then they finally show them uh, driving up to the sanitarium and it's pitch black night. So they drove all day and all night to go say hi to their grandpa for five minutes and then we're driving home. Um, and I get that sometimes visiting old folks, like sometimes visiting old folks in the in the home is, uh, depending on their mental state, it's more for you than them. Yeah. It's like, but you still don't want to be there long. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, you still might want to be there for 10 minutes. Why? Um, dr- but why do that Christmas Eve? I don't know. Make a like, weekend yeah, of it. 
Yeah, sometimes it's more for you than them. Like, sometimes it's, like, you feel bad and, like, they actually are fine where they are, like, either they've met, they're mentally gone or they're just very comfortable and they don't want, like, to have to entertain anybody. Which isn't always true, but that is sometimes Do you true. think that's why the grandpa decided to freak out the little kid? He was like, fuck, why did they come? I don't, I was fine here in my chair in the middle of the room. I didn't want to see anybody. <laughs> All right, I'm going to tell this kid that Santa yeah. Claus is going to fucking kill him. Yeah, he's like, if I didn't like this chair, I would have moved. <laughs> my, my question is, how long has he been faking a coma or a catatonic state just to eventually... Use it for evil. Or is, like, the only thing that wakes him up the chance to traumatize a child? <laughs> like, is he not faking it? We he's know. just legitimately, his brain's like, eh, we got our window, boys. <laughs> we know nothing about his previous life. We have no idea how many children that he has terrorized throughout his life. <laughs> well, and they definitely keep him uh, segregated from what I assume is the other people that are there. Because it looks like a gathering space, but it's just the one chair and him. Just, yeah, yeah we, we keep him out here. We haven't furnished this room yet, but he likes it. Yeah. <laughs> we, we call this the traumatizing room. Yeah. Um, he hasn't said anything negative about it yet. But, <laughs> isn't that he, but he can't speak. Exactly. <laughs> we got the orphanage coming up here with a field trip next week. He's going to have a field day. <laughs> ever, ever since Super Mario, the amount of accents we do on this show has shot up 100%. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey boss uh we got a we got a whole bus full of kids coming in yeah bring them up with the crazy guy but like one-on-one -on -one. yeah <laughs> leave him alone for two to three minutes let him do his thing that's all Ooh, don't give him his pills today <laughs> um yeah but it's it's not even the the thing where he has like a psychic connection or like oh the person in a coma all of a sudden like has a moment of clarity that comes in part three yeah, and pre and predicts the horror that's about to befall the, the child, and because he he is just a normal guy, and at the end says, "Don't tell anyone." <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go back to staring at this fireplace for five <laughs> to six years child to run for his life. <laughs> yeah, that, that 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 whole sequence is very strange. One of the reasons I really like a lot of these kind of B horror movies is. They knew what they wanted to do from a horror standpoint. They're like, we got to get a Santa with an axe murdering people. we got to get a lot of shirt rips. Like, the audience needs the shirt rips. And then they're like, well, how do we set up the whole thing? I don't know. <laughs> well, I feel like they also kind of played it as if the grandpa was kind of like, you know, the old crazy guy at the gas station that tells you not to go into the woods kind of thing. Yeah, but like you're supposed to bump to into him, not drive all day to yeah. go see the gas station attendant. <laughs> Also, or like the grandpa is like the grandpa from uh, 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 Troll Two, where like he ends up actually being kind of right. Yeah, this grandpa, he's right, but for the wrong reason. He's like, oh man, I was just being a dick. I didn't expect this to happen. <laughs> oh, he, he got the call later that day. Edna, <laughs> Charlie, my son. Did I do this? How does the grandpa feel after that? Is the grandpa completely gone? Because he's pretty much gone from the movie. There's no usually they'll come back to the grandpa later and be like, your uh, your nephew's here. And then he's like, did you watch out for Santa? You're like, no. I also like that they showed a just a completely life changing, devastating event in this child's life. And they could have fast forwarded right to him as an 18 year old. And everyone would have bought why he went crazy with Santa. But they're like, no. 
more trauma. More abuse. We yeah. want more. Yeah, we, yeah, we really I mean, want to underline Also, that this kid is fucked. Oh, I was going to say, we realize that they don't have any other family, right? Because they go into an orphanage. All they had was crazy, creepy grandpa. How much better would it have been if grandpa wasn't in a sanitarium and maybe it was just kind of bonked and crazy? And then they had to go live with crazy grandpa and he kept instilling that fear of Christmas and Santa into him. And that's what caused him to go crazy as he got older. I like the orphanage thing a lot. I think that would have worked as well. I just think it's so funny that they spend a half hour of this movie traumatizing the child so that later you'd be like, yeah, I can see. I can see why he needed to do it. Well, otherwise you wouldn't believe it, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with Aaron that I love the, the orphanage partially because I grew up going to Catholic school. So I've got like a deep-seated hatred of Catholic institutions. <laughs> Take them down a peg. Um, yeah. This is sort of a larger point about the movie. And this is like the reason that I would say fully that I love this movie. And it overcomes the sort of like grodiness of certain sequences. And is that I think the movie is weirdly humanist for a slasher. It's very, very sympathetic towards... Uh, this kid and what he went through growing up that brought him to, from A to B to C to finally turn him into a monster. And it never, like, lets him off the hook necessarily because he is, like, hurting people. But he's continually – the movie is continually trying to get you on his side. He's going through continual trauma and the movie isn't just like – I don't think it's just saying like, oh, let's pity this poor boy. I think it's like it wants you to feel for him and it wants you to fight with him for his own sanity. At least somewhat. About half the people he kills are kind of shitty people and even like you kind of feel bad that he doesn't get to kill Mother Superior at the end. Yeah. His first kill is a noble kill. Mm -hmm. He's stopping a rape. Like a noble, however you would say a noble – self-defense kill whatever your your moral definition might be different but in terms of slasher stuff that's pretty noble because usually in a slasher movie it's like the switch is flipped now everybody dies <laughs> and then his first kill is noble and then his second kill is is when you realize like he is over the line because he kills andy which is the first this is what i would say is like when he's still sort of a complicated hero as soon as he kills pamela you're like Oh, he is completely gone because he was in love with this girl up until three seconds ago. Um, still probably is in some fucked up part of his brain. Yeah, they definitely go out of their way to kind of, which kind of circles back to the stuff about why people were so dicky about this movie. Because, like, this movie wasn't like, how about this fun killer dresses up like Santa to hurt people? It's like, they are literally going out of their way to underline how much trauma he's been in and like the circumstances that cause him to snap and the only reason he's wearing a santa costume in the first place is because he was wearing it because other people forced him into it kind of against his will like he was super uncomfortable with being the department store santa and he just has that on when he snaps so even like He's not full Santa. He doesn't go full Santa. Well, and they get him drunk. They make it a, a big point that drinking leads to mass murder. I kind of liked the, the they got him drunk because it's sort of showing you like booze can be dangerous for someone that's got some bad shit going up in the brain. Like, I think that sort of added to the, the humanist reading that I had of the movie. Yeah. And he uh, yeah. And when he's a department store Santa, too, uh, he is visited by the worst parents on the face of the earth. <laughs> I've never seen someone look more uncomfortable around children to a scary degree. 
to a point that like if someone was holding my child, even a department store Santa, and had the look on his face and was like whispering threats to my child, uh, I wouldn't be like these parents who are like, he is so good at handling these kids. <laughs> like, well, it is 1984. <laughs> they are all wasted. But these are the parents in the day. Fair <laughs> yes, enough. and? It's so 1984, guy. <laughs> yeah, it's morning in America and I'm shit-faced. It's not the movie where he is whispering threats to children and the parents can't hear. They can hear. And then they're like, he just really knows how to handle kids. That's an exact quote. He got him to shut the fuck up. That's good enough yeah. for me. <laughs> they are they are not great parents. I don't think there are great parents in this movie, really. No, there's no great parents in this movie. There's one. There's hey, one. Uh, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't know that those first two parents were bad. Like, just They left him with a crazy old man. And they spoke ill about old people. That's naughty. <laughs> That's a little bit of victim blaming. Like, they abandoned their children. <laughs> They're pieces of shit. But yeah, they did leave that child with, with this kind of invalid grandpa that, I, I don't know, he could have died at any time. And they just left the small child there with him instead of... <laughs> they thought they thought he was canatonic. That's got to be... Yeah, and that's not confusing at all. For Would you leave your, your child with uh, a canatonic person? Yeah, a person that's, that's practically dead. <laughs> That would be so confusing for a kid. Just be like, say whatever you want now. <laughs> Talk back. Use bad words. This is your chance to not be punished later. Grandpa's not going to rat on you. Don't yeah. worry. I doubt he's going to threaten you and your family with death. Yeah. You know, pretty decent chance. 90% chance that he's not going to do it. 85-90. <laughs> he's never done it before, but... Yeah. Also, the parents in real life suck because you know what Billy's name in real life is? What? Robert Brian Wilson. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. He's Bobby Brian Wilson. Like, yeah. just name him Brian Wilson. Yeah. Don't, do why? What would you name someone Robert Brian Wilson? Can we pause right here to note that my name is Peter Gabriel Moran? <laughs> <laughs> not joking <laughs> yeah i know and i actually already knew that but that still made me laugh like that naturally <laughs> yeah i know why do you think i'm bringing up terrible parents peter i know <laughs> we still have to look up if uh peter gabriel was in town nine months before 1990 march of 1991 the thing is it doesn't work for you because under no circumstances could they have named you peter gabriel like they could have named him brian wilson if they really wanted to yeah that's true they could have gotten away with it yeah did you know my name is aaron lance armstrong <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. No, it's not. <laughs> I, I do uh, say now that when people are asking to spell my name, I, I say it's spelled the exact same as the disgrace cyclist. <laughs> <laughs> I, can you start? Can you change your middle name to Stretch? Yeah, there's Stretch. There's Neil. This is true. Uh, I used to get a lot when I was in uh, high school, junior high. Uh, are you related to Neil? Like a lot of serious people asking those questions. And I would be like, no, but I am actually related to Louie. <laughs> that is a joke that went over most people's heads that I said. They're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He's my dad. Yep. Public schools, guys. <laughs> Send him to the orphanage. Those nuns will teach you about how to be scared of sex, how to worship how to Santa as, as your lord and savior. How to deal with trauma by singing Christmas carols, which surely won't be tainted after yeah. this whole mess. Push it down. Push down that trauma. God, they, they are teaching them to be good, nice, good Catholics that can just bury that trauma deep. Yeah, there's that part where they cut away to now, like, 12 years later when he's 18, where he runs 
into the room after he like flips out on Santa because the mother superior forces a lap confrontation between the two of them. He and fucking he's just in his corner, him. just freaking the fuck out. That, that little child, you? that like eleven year old kid, knocks the fuck out of this grown man, <laughs> like yeah. bloody nose and everything. It is a great punch. That's a weird thing in this movie is that this kid, despite being small, in literally every one of these things yeah he knocks santa right off his face he's he's ripped this kid is like secretly ripped this whole movie well he does when he kills uh what's his name randy or whatever with the the christmas lights the first kill he lifts him up yeah over his head he, the kid <laughs> you know is crazy power that would take when you have a lot of unresolved sadness and depression Sometimes that comes out in some amazing feats of strength. People think the Superman got his power from the yellow sun. It's just because he lost his whole planet and is very bummed out about it. Oh, he was yeah, super sad. Yeah. Oh, he's, he's powered by sads. <laughs> My superpower is an inability to get over anything. <laughs> now you sound like the mother superior. Just get <laughs> over it. No, the, if you just cling to it and embrace that horrible, horrible trauma, you too can be a vicious serial killer yeah. or superman it can go either way so there's still hope for me is what you're saying yeah <laughs> he, so he does use the axe for the most part um except for one kill in the in the toy store where he uses a bow and arrow well there's a hilarious it's so good because yeah that's true but i mean like the axe is his primary weapon but like you could see why there would be an axe in a department store like just break glass in case of emergency why is there a bow and arrow suddenly in the toy section? But I get why there'd be a toy bow and arrow. Yeah. Not, Not a functioning one. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, kids, kids get actual bow and arrow sets to go play with outside and stuff, especially in the uh, 80s. I suppose this is the generation of lawn darts. Yeah, yeah like, whatever. Know, there's also, what, box cutter kill, hammer kill. He he kills someone with a, a deer head mounted on a wall. <laughs> that's the best kill. Window. Like, there is all sorts of kills. It's super gross. No, that's not the best kill. It's my second favorite kill. Um, I, I do wish, though, there was a little bit of seediness to, like... They could have had her have – there's no reason that she's still running around, like, getting the cat in without her shirt on. It's like that – come on. <laughs> she puts on shorts but leaves herself topless to go upstairs yeah. and let the cat in. Just from a practical perspective, it's fucking cold. Like, when you open the door to let your dogs in or your cats in or whatever else, like, it's fucking winter. But to be fair, both Linnea Quigley and Linnea Quigley's boobs have, like, the same billing. Like, they're on the same level. Yeah. So, <laughs> she, but they I showed mean, up she, at practically I, the same time. They, they got paid the same amount of money. And it's not like she just opens the door, though. Like, she's like – Okay, are you going to come in because I'm going to light up the door? Like, no. You, you've you never lived in a winter if that's your, your game plan. Um, she doesn't – when you have a dog that you want to, like, let in the house, you open the door just enough yeah. to let the dog in. And you're usually wearing pants or shirts. My favorite kill is actually the one after that, which is the sledding. Um, <laughs> that is the best oh, kill. that's rules. It's so good. It's so funny. It also is my favorite, maybe my top five favorite slasher kills ever, just because uh, his friend who is waiting for him at the bottom of the hill, I've never seen anyone experience joy <laughs> in general the way this guy experiences joy at the prospect of his friend sledding. He has... The biggest smile, and it's like one of those full face smiles. Like, he is just ecstatic. He's got his arms out in, like, a braced position. So excited to see his friend sled. And I got to tell you what, guys. 
he got a pretty big disappointment that night. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me ask you guys something. I grew up in the South. I've seen very little to no snow my entire life. Is sledding as slow and boring as it seems? Not if you do it pretty dangerously. <laughs> <laughs> they are wooing and wowing all over the place, and I'm just like, you're you're barely moving. You're having to push yourself along. <laughs> like, why yeah, are you wooing? You need okay, so you need to push yourself at first to get momentum, obviously. But I think if you have like a steep enough hill, like it's pretty fucking fun. I mean, yeah. I, I grew up in Illinois, which has like, you know, you can find some hills around, but it's fairly flat. The good hills, you know where they are. Uh, we used to get drunk in high school and go sledding. Like it was that it was that level of fun. My parents' house is right on the golf course, which becomes the big sled hill with like a warming hut. Like we, we it's essentially the equivalent of a block from my parents' house. So we do and have done a ton of night drunk sledding down probably one of the steepest hills in Bismarck. I was just amazed that this kid was able to get down the hill at the same speed with no head. It didn't seem like that really mattered if he had a head or not. Well, that's, I mean, that's why they had to use that hill is because <laughs> they needed to have a, like, if you're going normal sledding, you can't get axe murdered. You can get, like, tree <laughs> murdered when you dangerously slam into a tree. But there's no one who has the coordination to cut off a head with an axe. I think you could get the axe in at a slow speed, but the guy's got to be going pretty fast to actually lop that whole sucker off. It would knock not. the axe holder over, too. Like, that's just that's just basic physics. Yeah. I, I, Unless you I come like at it swinging. He, if he came at it swinging... But then he also let go of the axe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. There we go. <laughs> like uh, if he kind of swung through. Yeah. The it's it's so great though, just because the head chopping off is great, and then like the anytime a headless body in a horror movie continues their activities, I'm in. <laughs> like yeah. I, I love that gag. It never gets old for me. It's and this so was a great example. And then again, having the most excited person on the face of the earth <laughs> waiting for him to come down and slowly realizing his best friend who all he wanted to do with his life is see him sled. <laughs> Doesn't have a head. Really ruins ruins everything. Well, he seems a or little like, confused at first, and he's just like, well, he doesn't seem to be having fun. But then the head tumbles down after the sled, oh, yeah. and that's oh, yeah. when he gets it. It's the best slow realization in movies. I'm just going to say it, because <laughs> it, it goes from so happy to so sad over a slow period of time. It's fantastic. He doesn't want to have emotional whiplash. He's got to take it slow. He's got to go through all the stages of grief in front of our very eyes. Does he have his head tucked into the coat? <laughs> what are you doing, guys? This isn't funny do you guys have any favorite kills or scenes or um anything else that we didn't we didn't really touch on it's such a short movie like this yeah. is kind of you know there's the there's the traumatization part of the first half hour and then there's billy trying to do his best at the department store and then it's just like a bunch of killings it's sort of a perfect confluence of shitty things to break his super sensitive temperament but if you are a person that is traumatized by Santa Claus killing your family, why would you get him a job in a fucking toy store? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't Face understand. your emotions. If you take one thing away from this movie, Marcus, <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> also, it's not like they forgot about it. They got him this job at Christmas time. He apparently, because there's this really super chipper tonal whiplash that happens where they're yeah. playing the super chipper Christmas song. Which one do you oh, think the it work was, montage? Guys? Was it behind the warm door? Could have been. Could have <laughs> been. I don't know. I don't know the lyrics. You know, usually when people ask questions, they have answers. It's kind of weird. It's, um, one, it's one of those, those ten. So thank you very much. Oh, sure I sure about look that. it up in the soundtrack and then not know for sure. Yeah. It, it's not an ironic uh, song at first, like a ironic 
happy song at first, but it begins to like turn into one. And this movie has some good uses of ironic pop music. It's all it's all songs by that one guy. Yeah. When Billy's family gets killed, they're playing like a chipper Christmas song and showing the trees. And I think the movie generally is really, really well edited. The sound editing for those those songs is, is one of my favorite things in the movie. In particular, there's a, a sex scene with the nuns and, and Billy peeking through the peak, the keyhole. Really, really nicely edited because like the shots stay just long enough for them to linger. So they're not completely subliminal. He's sort of like reflecting on the trauma and whatever. And obviously, it's like beating a dead horse. Like, you know, this kid is fucked up about sex. He's fucked up about Santa. He's fucked up about family stuff. Like, you know, it's all there. But uh, that that kind of editing was kind of impressive to me for something that's so cheap. Let me ask you guys a question. Is the boss supposed to have a crush on Billy? Oh, Mr. Sims, my favorite character in this movie? Perhaps. (laughs) Ira? (laughs) Yeah, Ira Sims, I guess. uh, Played by Britt Leach, who... I knew from somewhere, but I couldn't quite place it. I had to look it up. But he played uh, Gary Wallace's father in Weird Science, like Anthony Michael Hall's father oh. in Weird Science. That's where I knew him from. It's just kind of a weird plot point that doesn't go anywhere because originally he doesn't want to hire Billy. And then Billy comes in and he's kind of like, oh, never mind. Well, he gets a job because he turned into a fucking hunk. Pretty much. Yeah. So, and then it's like, there's one other little thing, like, Billy, you gotta join us. I'm sure whatever point the movie would have been making would have been horrifying, so maybe it's good it's just these little hints, because it is uh, an 80s movie, and uh, they were not good at uh, at dealing with, uh, you know, people who are gay. So, it's probably good that they just left it there, but I, I was just kind of like, what, what are they going for? I will say that Mr. Sims drunk during the Christmas party is probably one of my favorite scenes of the movie. I just love him confronting Billy and trying to talk to him and being reminded that his parents are killed and then drunkenly trying to deal with that and tell him he's sorry and then tell, telling him, treating him like he's actually Santa Claus while drunk <laughs> is amazing to me. Just to circle back to the Mother Superior for a sec, I think that I can say without without any reservation that all of the kids in that orphanage, again, a place for people without parents to be raised by strangers. I can guarantee that Billy has experienced more trauma than every single person in that orphanage combined. And it's, it is funny that the mother superior spends all of her energy trying to get him to just get over it. I think if she just let Billy, chill out and like hang out with the other kids he would be better off than with her uh brutal fucking traumatic treatment he's gonna sit on that lap he'd probably just be like a normal like shoplifter from a store as opposed to serial murderer yeah (laughs) i do have one other scene i want to mention which kind of goes a little bit against what the film seems to be about which is showing as much uh trauma against children as possible there's the (laughs) one uh kind of fake out scene where the cops are driving around and they witness a Santa going up into someone's house by ladder and they bust through the door. And then it's just this guy dressed up as Santa Claus coming in his daughter's window, which is also just kind of weird to begin with. Like, if you're oh, going to be Santa or whatever, coming through your daughter's window and he was standing over about to touch her as Santa. It, that's all kind of weird. But I'm very surprised that those cops didn't just completely shoot that guy dead in front of his daughter if we were going with the theme that the film already had. Yeah. yeah. They didn't want to blow their, their dead Santa thing too early. I'm just saying, man, uh. you can set up so many sequels with this. Each one of these children could be a, a killer Santa in the next films. Yeah, that's true. You could just have like a, in the next movie is like a whole uh, Santa 
and Mrs. Claus and Elf uh, set up where there's just like a murder uh, gang. I think we need to have more movies about like holiday themed murder gangs. <laughs> yes. There's this group of Scottish highwaymen that murdered like hundreds of people. Uh, something sort of like that, but with uh, Santa themed. <laughs> festive, you know? <laughs> yeah, festive. Just these traumatized orphans of, of Santa Claus past waging a war on our hearts. That's a really nice thing to say, Peter. Um, now, every time I say your name, when we announce this show, I'm going to go, shame, shame, shame. <laughs> uh, Marcus, do you have anything that you're ashamed about? <laughs> Have you been naughty? Most of my life, yes. <laughs> Especially when I agreed to come on this podcast. <laughs> no, but I, I really enjoyed this movie. This is something that uh, a friend of mine actually let me borrow on DVD years and years and years ago. I probably had this sitting on my shelf. Did you give it him. back? Yeah, I did after I watched it about four <laughs> years after he gave it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but I finally watched it and I really enjoyed it. And so just uh, like I said, maybe a few days later or right around the same time, uh, I was out somewhere with my girlfriend and she happened to find a copy of Silent Night, Deadly Night 2 on VHS. So we're like, yeah, let's get that. Let's watch it. We enjoyed the first one. <sighs> just you can, you can never capture the magic twice. The, the beautiful magic of childhood trauma and, and sex and nuns, woke nuns. and If someone only like half listens to this podcast, they're going to think this movie is super sexy because <laughs> I jerked off there was a times. point. Yeah, there was a point earlier on that Peter called it a nun sex scene. People are going to be like, oh, this is naughty. Little yeah. do they know. And they will be punished by the truth. Yeah. <laughs> Just a bunch of gross, sweaty bodies ripping open shirts and having on a varying scale of consensual to non-consensual sex. Yeah. You want sexy nuns? You go watch Sister Act 2 back in the habit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Those are some sexy nuns. Or read the novelization. Mark, Marcus can surely <laughs> recommend that to you. I like nuns that try to save. What do they save in that movie? Like something? They did Probably something. It, it was like no, it was, was like it a teen, uh, teen center for uh, yeah, that's arts what it was, or something. Yep, yeah, that's <laughs> what it was. Because the first one, she's just we don't have the money for the teen center. I don't get to beat anyone. That is a terrible the, Whoopi Goldberg impression. Yeah, that, I don't know what impression <laughs> that was. Oh, uh, yeah, that's back when sequels didn't need to make any sense. Like the they just needed one, a clever title. Yeah, the first one is just. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg hiding from the mob in a covenant, which, okay, humor. And the second one's like, we need you back to fake being a nun so we can save a teenage choir group that, yeah, like, uh, why do I need to fake being a nun for this? We don't know. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I really liked it. You know, everything that you want from like an 80s B ripoff slasher movie that's you, this is this is gonna have that. It's short. It's to the point. It's got terrible logic, some creative kills, um, some unintentional laughs, and some ultimately a like a point it's trying to make that it stumbles around and bumps into everything, but still is like I get it. You're, you're trying to say that like we should be better at dealing with trauma victims, and like you said, Peter, there's a little bit of a hey, nuns are assholes. Why were we letting these people raise our kids? <laughs> um, so it you know it's not elegant, it's not particularly clever, but it's it's an enjoyable 85 minutes. 
or it's blood money that people should feel ashamed of. It's one of those two. <laughs> one of the two. Either way. I want to jump on that and say, yeah, it's clumsy. Um, but the but I like the points that it's making. And like I said earlier, I think it's sort of a, a humanist spin on a slasher, which is weirdly enough what Rob Zombie did with the Halloween sequels or the Halloween remakes, which is your mileage may vary on that. But uh, I kind of love that idea, the idea of trying to make the basis for why this this crazy person became crazy um your movie not just saying like oh and then a crazy person happened uh the movie is very interested in trauma it's very interested in the impact of what the the his uh, craziness uh, has on the world the before they leave a murder scene it always reflects on the dead not to show off the gore because like the movie doesn't have like a ton of gore it's also it. to show off the gore <laughs> I, I like I think if the gore were more impressive, I would feel like it was that. But yeah, it's probably somewhat that. But when before they leave a scene, the the feeling I'm left with is like, oh shit! Like people died. Like there's nothing exciting about a static shot of a dead body. Um, well, and it's being murdered by, and the people are being killed by like someone who is not acting out of joy or I'm a goof. You know, I, I'm not. He, they're not the Joker. It's not Hannibal Lecter. It's not on that, like, spectrum of villains. It's just someone who, like, is broken. He's been breaking the whole movie, and now he is, like, completely broken. So it's not even the, uh, like, the the thing that people started doing with the Nightmare on Elm Street or Jason movies where they, like, applaud a kill because it's just not – it's not that type of fun. But also not completely evil either because we didn't mention yeah. this, but after he kills Linnea Quigley and her boyfriend, there's a little girl in the house that he could have killed – he maybe almost came close to it, but she seemed like an innocent and said she had been good all year. So he just gave her a box cutter as a present. A bloody box cutter. It's a pretty great scene, um, especially in the post-torture porn world, where it seemed like maximalism of violence was the goal often. Uh, to have a little moment where you're like, oh, don't kill the kid. And then he doesn't kill the kid, but you get like something way creepier than him <laughs> killing the kid. It's good. Like that's a clever that's a clever little horror moment that works way better than just straight up murder would have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the the outrage of this movie, which I knew about going into it, made me think he was going to kill that kid. I'm like, this is going to be this is going to be what they're all pissed about. Santa doesn't kill any kids. Mm -hmm. Actually, the cop gets closer to killing uh, kids by shooting. Oh yeah, through the uh, blind old father <laughs> dressed yeah. as Santa. Just Catholicism kills kids' spirit. <laughs> it's true. Um, Marcus, do you have any final thoughts? No, I, I pretty much agree. I, I'm very, uh, very positive on this movie. I enjoyed it quite a bit. Again, I do think it helps that it is so short that it kind of breezes by. It never really gets a chance to be boring or kind of drag in the middle like most of these types of films do. Um, but at, at the same time, it, it doesn't really get to breathe very much or add like a lot of the elements seem very kind of tossed in or like an afterthought. Like there's the detective that comes in that eventually kills Billy at the end. And he showed up like 10 minutes prior to that. He has two scenes, but he there's yeah, he's undercooked as shit. Yeah. <laughs> but overall, so yeah, much I forgot recommend. he's in the movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I highly recommend it too, especially if you're into these sort of movies. I think it's a clever spin on the formula. It's especially if you're used to Friday the 13 ripoffs, particularly ones that just have this like pure, your evil monster that gleefully like Aaron was saying gleefully kills kids and you don't care about the kids I didn't want apart from Andy I didn't really want any of these people to get murdered like I they seem to be you know those teens uh, were listening to records and banging on the pool table they seem to be having a pretty good time like and there's really not enough uh, Christmas horror movies out there like if you haven't seen this check not, it out 
I, yeah, I, I recommend this one. I recommend the second one, but only if you don't watch it right after, because yeah. like we said, it's it's got it's, about um, it's much twenty five or twenty nine minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a that is a straight up like I don't want to say so bad it's good, but yeah, it's it's a campier, <laughs> leans more into its B moviness, like much higher body count. If you guys want to have me back next year for the sequel, I will totally come back for that because I'm actually <laughs> just I, I rewatched it again for this, and I really hated it the first time I watched it, but having some time away from it i really enjoyed it the second time around yeah let's let's bring you back next uh next time we do uh we do these movies we're trying to figure out what we're gonna do next christmas i was thinking maybe shane black christmas movies but but we'll see we'll see how we're feeling a year from now (laughs) yeah well Uh, i I wouldn't worry about it guys we'll all yeah we'll all be dead yeah or be or be registered in our camps and then we'll be the people who are like we know that your whole family died in a trauma but get over it trump's the president (laughs) go sit on santa's lap (laughs) and me and aaron are huddled around like a dried up corn husk recording a fake podcast yep just huddling near (laughs) the speaking into potatoes the warm side of the door And also, like, listen to the soundtrack, because I haven't, but everyone, I'm going to. I am going yeah. to listen to the soundtrack, because, guys, ten new Christmas classics. I Check maybe remember two from the movie, and I thought those were already established ten Christmas songs that I just new didn't know. Christmas <laughs> yeah classics. It's funny, because at first, I, I thought what Marcus was saying was true. I thought that they, uh, I thought that they were just Christmas songs that, were so not known that they were just cheap to license. But no, they were they were original songs, which is like fairly respectable for what the series apparently turned into. And again, you don't need to license Christmas songs. They're free. That's an easy creeper moment is getting to reuse like jingle bells in a slasher scene. Easy ironic contrast moment. Um so I think they were going for something a little different maybe. Well, I was almost positive something was going on when I'm pretty sure one of the songs describes the plot of the movie. And I'm like, wait a second. Where are these? I have three different notes about the songs at different points in my notes because I was it was slowly dawning on me what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did not hit me. Yeah, it's so great. Next time you watch, I think you'll be like. There are a fucking lot of songs in this movie that I've never heard of. So, so Marcus, thank you so much for coming on our show. You were so nice to have us on yours. Um, I, I, I'm sure we will continue to be very incestuous uh, in the dissolve and have each other oh, on so. all of our various shows because it, it's always a blast and a pleasure. Uh, why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find you? Well, I'm currently in Texas. Uh, my address is 1554 Santa Claus Lane. Oh my god. Uh, punish. <laughs> I have a website called Crush Celluloid. It's just crushcelluloid.com. That's where all my writing is. That's where uh, both of my podcasts are. The one I do with Cole, Crush Celluloid, where we talk about forgotten films. Um, we have an episode coming out. It either came out today or is coming out tomorrow for Primary Colors, uh, the 1988 uh, Mike Nichols, John Travolta film, which is kind That's of our movie. election episode that we're doing a month after that all happened uh then i have my other podcast which you have both been on jean pot van damme where i talk about all the film and tv appearances of uh, the muscles from brussels and uh yeah that's uh that's 
you know, whenever I get it out. You did uh, Sudden Death, Aaron. Uh, Peter, you did Universal Soldier Regeneration. I think the next episode coming out will be Time Cop. Look oh, I'm psyched for that one. Yeah, I'll be yeah, doing that be awesome. with uh, with uh, Liz Lerner. She will be on. The oh, nice. One. Yeah, excited for that. Uh, but yeah, other than that, uh, Cross Celluloid can be found all the usual places. We're on Facebook.com slash Cross Celluloid. We're Cross Celluloid on Twitter, minus the E and Crushed, which will be easy to remember. Uh, we have a YouTube channel where I just put, uh, you know, video versions of our podcast up for listening and looking at pictures pleasure and uh that's that's what i do thank you very much for coming on this was a blast definitely definitely want you to come back on because uh yeah we had a lot of fun yeah and peter i want i want to pause here for a sec great show you (laughs) were funny concise had a lot of great points um nothing i disagreed with on a fundamental level just excellent work He's not wrong. Aaron, Aaron you were kind of weak this week, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's where the editing comes in. Aaron, your compliments show a distinct cowardice that just <laughs> makes me see less of you. And I think Marcus is actually going to take over as the co-host starting n- now. Now, I'd actually appreciate it if you closed out your audacity and, and just left. I'm Marcus Jones. <laughs> I'm Pete Moran And we love to watch We love to watch a- anything without Aaron Armstrong So say we all <laughs> Did he really leave? <laughs> is is the you, dead? We, we, have other, we have other episodes to announce, Peter Just because I was insulted and hurt And next week I'm going to come back pretty strong And <laughs> no matter what no matter what uh, you say, I'm going to disagree with it. Aaron, I just, uh, you know, doubling back because I'm a coward. Uh, <laughs> no, doubling back. That's why you don't like it when you see cowardice because you it's reflecting the worst part of yourself. Yes, yes, yes. Um, sort of like when uh, dads are really hard on their kids because they just see a, a bitter reflection of their own failures. But, uh, that's that's yeah. our relationship. <laughs> but yeah, um, uh, I love you, buddy. Um, love you too, friend. What do we have? For we have to plug. Next uh, yeah, week? so next week we are doing uh, Black Christmas with Joseph J. Finn, and then we are wrapping up uh, the year with New Year's Evil, uh, and that that should come out on December thirty first. So look forward to that. That is actually a we didn't advertise this because neither of us realized it. It's a canon movie, so the grand return of one of the biggest inspirations behind this podcast which was talking about canon movies and then we i'll I'll announce the next week uh we're not going to announce the january month although we do have it essentially all booked up now uh but the first week in january we're actually re-release an episode that due to our very primitive editing techniques at the time we didn't feel like the sound quality we gave it the best service it's one of our favorite episodes content wise uh, but it really didn't get its due based on Peter and myself's inability to figure out uh, that you can't just keep using the effects before it takes a huge toll on the audio quality. So we're going to re-release the uh, Predator 2 episode with Rick Kelly, one of our favorites, actually one of our most listened to. So apparently the terrible editing uh, audio quality that is our fault uh did not uh, stop people from listening to it. But hopefully if you did enjoy it or you kind of gave up listening to it because of the audio quality, you'll come back. So we'll release that the first week in January uh, 
Predator 2 Remastered. Very, very excited to hear how that comes out because we were morons before. Hey, people love Gary Busey. Morons. They'll do anything for him. Yep, and Dubacks will be inserted in many <laughs> scenes that they were not in. <laughs> and uh, Gary Busey does shoot the Predator first in this movie as well. Always intended to when we were talking about it. We always intended to talk about that scene first. <laughs> and we didn't it'll be edited uh actually though because we are because we are working off of the original uh the original stuff and starting over from scratch very possible that there may be uh some stuff that gets added and removed like a real george lucas uh special edition because i think it would be impossible to recreate it exactly the original edit will be taken off as well and um though i will have a copy of it uh, i'm going to claim that it doesn't exist Yep. <laughs> uh, no matter what, uh, scientists or movie studios want to release it. Yeah. So only what if you scientist? happen to record the original episode onto a cassette tape that you keep yep. locked away in your basement, that is the only way you will have it from now on. Yep. <laughs> in non-anamorphic stereo. <laughs> yeah. Good night. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> and they'll be smiling at me. And I won't need no folks thanks for listening to we love to watch if you want to get in touch with us please reach out to us at either our website wltwpodcast.com or our facebook group facebook.com backslash we love to watch and uh yeah reach out to us give us some feedback give us some support uh, suggest movies for the show all that we are also available on soundcloud TuneIn, stitcher and itunes thanks for listening